Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to a message to go from Axe Church. We hope this message will light up your day. I'm going to be sharing and teaching uh, from the book of Acts. And uh, I thought it was important that we go back to the very book in which we got our name from. Uh, and this last month, this month, there was some emphasis on missions. Uh, and I want to continue with that emphasis uh, because missions is something that's very, very exciting for all of us. It's something that we should look forward to as believers. That's what I'm trying to say, basically. Uh, because this is the mission that the Lord has put on each and every believer. It's not uh, only a select few uh, should have this mission in their life. No, it's actually all. All of us who confess and profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are supposed to go and make disciples. All of us uh, are supposed to basically not stay where we are, but go somewhere. Uh, not just stay where we are and don't do anything, uh, but continue to go and do something uh, for the Lord wherever He has placed you. So that's something that I want us to always actively have that in our minds. Uh, and, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, sometimes being a believer for uh, so many years, I've, I've been, uh, I, I began my journey back in 1994 uh, as, a, as a Christian, as a believer. It's a long, long time ago. I don't know whether you're born yet or not. Shalene said, I'm not born yet. Okay, uh, 1994 was when uh, I started my journey, uh, this journey of faith uh, in the Lord. And uh, you know, sometimes after many, many years being uh, a believer, sometimes you can go through a routine. Like, oh, everything is just like that. Lah. You know, I go to church uh, on Sundays, I go for cell groups uh, on Fridays or on whichever days that we normally go for cell groups for. And then uh, week after week, it becomes like a very, uh, what we call a humdrum. That means it's like, dung, 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 dung. It's, it's just uh, normal. It's just routine. Uh, it's almost like we can sometimes lose the sense of excitement. Uh, but I realize whenever, um, personally, I'm involved in church planting work, uh, that means going out and starting something new and something fresh, uh, for the Lord, it really causes me to leap uh, in my spirit. Uh, and, you know, after many years, uh, I've never been involved uh, in church planting work until uh, I came to Acts. And in 2012, uh, I was actually sent out to uh, start something in Acts Ampang, uh, in the Ampang area, in the Ampang region. And I, I remember 
you know, when we set off uh, to do something in Ampang, Ampang is a really huge area actually. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, covers, it covers all facets of society. That's why I always tell people because if you, if you just look at Jalan Ampang on its own, it actually starts off uh, in the KLCC area. And then if you drive along Jalan Ampang all the way to the other end, you actually bang into a, a mountain, you bang into a hill. Uh, it becomes a dead end and there's a hill uh, there. And, and throughout that road, you can actually see uh, from the multi-super rich to the extreme poor uh, along Ampang. And I remember when we started Ampang, we had, we had all sorts of people and we will continue uh, to reach out anyone and everyone. Uh, who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's not a gospel, uh, it's not good news just for a select few people. And so I, I know back then when we were uh, pioneering X Ampang, we used to bring uh, community kids uh, out in the Ampang, the deeper Ampang areas. You know, our team used to go there and drive this family. I still remember this family of uh, about six or seven siblings. Uh, and the oldest boy, his name is Puvendran. He was a real rascal. He, 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 was, he, he was a real handful. Every time the ex-kids teachers would be like, oh my goodness, Puvendran is going to come with his sisters uh, and his uh, little siblings and they will cause havoc uh, in ex-kids. But yet, uh, it was still so much time in which we can actually input uh, into their lives. For many years, they were with us. Uh, Elaine Pong, actually, who is not well today, uh, was one of the pioneering ex-kids teachers uh, with us out in Ampang as well. And... and uh, through some of these connections, until today actually, this is how many years, almost 10 years later, she's still in contact with some of the community uh, children who have now, back then they were like that, now they are much, much older. Uh, and really this is, this is the work in which we are involved in. You know, when I managed to go uh, overseas uh, because my wife had a scholarship to, to, to study uh, and we went uh, to Scotland to a place called Edinburgh, uh, where there was a student there who went there a year before us who wanted to plant a church there for X. And uh, it, it, again, it was pioneering work. And so uh, when I arrived, it was one year after X Edinburgh was pioneered. Uh, it's still a very campus-centric uh, uh, community. Uh, just a few students. Uh, I remember we first started off meeting in a small little uh, room uh, in the dungeon of an old church. <laughs> so it was, uh, it, it was again, I, I think I've shared before, a lot of churches in, in the UK, uh, they, they don't even have their own service because there's no people uh, that goes to church uh, in some of the local churches. And so uh, what they do is they rent out their rooms uh, and their premise to whoever who is willing to pay uh, to do whatever that you need to do, whether it's to have meetings or etc. etc. So we used to actually rent uh, this church space on a Sunday uh, because they don't have uh, anything happening uh, after a certain hour. Uh, we will just use up the place to really have our own worship and our own service. Uh, it was good. It was small. And I remember just walking around the UK and and you know, having traveled a fair bit and just going to different churches and see, and talking to different ones, you no, know, I know God can do it again. Whatever that we read and whatever we are about to read in the book of Acts is not something that 
stays in the book of Acts. A lot of people believe that, oh, that was what happened back then. Uh, it shouldn't need to happen the way it happened back then because maybe back then all of them were so on fire simply because maybe all of them had some direct contact with Jesus. They walked with him, ate with him, slept with him, uh, went fishing with him. Uh, maybe Jesus was a little bit more real uh, to them uh, than he was or he is to us today. And so we will keep all the amazing things that happened in the book of Acts in the book of Acts. And I want to say that's not what it's supposed to be. Because I believe we are called to continue writing the chapters in the book of Acts uh, as God's church. Because if it wasn't for what happened back then, Christianity wouldn't be where it is today. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing movement today, Christianity. Uh, it's one in which we have seen many, many, many lives change and transform for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something that He has set us out to do something right from the very start. So I want us to have that in mind as I start teaching uh, on the book of Acts. Today I'm going to be teaching from a portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 13, basically on how it all started for Paul to a certain extent. So uh, stay with me as I bring you on a journey. I'll start talking quite fast at some point of time. I hope you all will be able to catch me as I, I, I think I, I'm good for time. But uh, it's good that you know, as you see and as you have been with us, I think many of you all have been with uh, X Church uh, a while, whether it's in Chiras or whether you come from different plants or you're here right now. Uh, but I want you to know that the model, the steps, the methods, the things that we do to church plant uh, is not something that we sat down uh, and roll the dice and like maybe we should do this and maybe we should do that. Uh, I, I do want you all to know that it, there is a biblical model on how to answer God's call uh, to missions. Uh, and it's something that I hope that we will continue to follow. I hope that we will continue to do because it's actually something that's very, very important uh, for us to do it. Okay? So, let's start off with this. Huh? Let's start off with this. Imagine with me, uh, uh, say a missionary society, okay? Uh, considering a candidate to go out and preach the gospel. Okay? So, if you're all seated, uh, and then you are, you know, you, there's someone, there's a candidate seated right in front of you. I want to go for missions. Uh -huh. And then you're like, okay. Uh, you're looking at this person and for a start, you look at this person. Uh, this person not very, not very handsome. Uh, not very appealing. Uh, and this, person, this person also got certain handicaps. You know, can see that he's not very perfect in his uh, physical outlook. And maybe even he has some deformities, uh, you know, in his physical appearance, his physical self. Uh, he doesn't have a very good record uh, in the sense that he's never stayed in one place for a long time. Uh, he's always moving around. Uh, just a few weeks and then he moves on. A few weeks he moves on. Uh, he usually gets into trouble. You know, his track record is he gets into quite a lot of trouble with authorities. Uh, the minute he arrives in a certain place, uh, chances are he might get thrown into prison, uh, you know and face a sentence here and there. It's something that happens quite regularly with this person. And as, as, as the appointments committee, you are like, okay, sitting down, listening, then you're shaking your heads. Mm, I think I would have to say no to this candidate. If you actually said no to this candidate, you have essentially said no to Paul, uh, who is probably one of the greatest missionaries that we have ever seen uh, and experienced. Uh, because all, uh, if not 
half of the New Testament is actually Paul's words uh, written to us. And so the book of Acts actually, I, I, I want you all to know, uh, is actually concerning, not just Paul, it's concerning the apostles. Uh, if you read the first half of the book of Acts, uh, it's actually emphasizing a little bit more on Peter. And Peter actually had a ministry to the uh, Jewish people. The second half of it, uh, the focus actually changes a little bit more towards Paul. And we know Paul's uh, ministry was to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Uh, but what's most important to realize is, is the book of Acts actually concerns the Acts, not just of the apostles, but it's actually the Acts of the apostles through the Holy Spirit. Because what you are going to see and what you are going to read is the Holy Spirit working in and through all these amazing apostles who said, yes, Lord, I'm willing, I will go if you call me to go. And that was how Saul, who is Paul, Saul, of course, was the name that he used uh, prior to Acts chapter 13. He was known as Saul. Uh, that's how he took the gospel all the way, you know, from Jerusalem all the way uh, to Rome. And if you take Paul anywhere, we have read through the Gospels. You take Paul anywhere in the world, uh, even if he's in chains, uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ goes with him. It's almost like it doesn't matter what state Paul is in, uh, you know, whether he's shackled, whether he's beaten, whether he's shipwrecked. Uh, you bring him anywhere in the world, uh, in a box, in a cage, uh, in an enclosure, you will still be bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ along with him. And eventually, it actually ended up in, ended up in Caesar's own household. Uh, this person who carried with him the good news. It's amazing. No? If I could give X a subtitle, it would be how they actually brought the good news from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. That, that is the journey. X is full of missionary journeys. And today, we are just going to talk about... I'm not even going to talk about the first journey. I think the next time I come, I'll talk more in-depth into what took place in the first journey. But this is like the start of the first journey. Okay? So in the first half, it centers around Jerusalem. Uh, and it concerns the good news actually spreading out from there. But in the second half, uh, you will see new centers being created. And this is, this is something that we have to imagine how it happened back then. Because once the ripples start to spread out uh, from Jerusalem, you do something... Uh, of effect for the Lord, it causes a ripple. You know what a ripple is? It's okay, the ripple spreads out and then it spreads out as far as Antioch, which is where the first uh, journey actually began from. From Antioch, a place called Antioch. Basically, it's not very near Jerusalem really. It's already spread out. And then Antioch, in return, now becomes a new center because the circumference of the ripple now becomes the new center. And then from that center, it causes another ripple. And then the circumference of that ripple becomes a new center. And that's how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ continue to spread because they continue building from where they are at, causing a ripple, end up there, build another center, cause another ripple, and then they kept moving on. So every circumference becomes a new center. And that is how we see billions of people alive today confessing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. All glory to God. It's really nothing short of a miracle that this has actually taken place for the past 2,000 years. And it started with a few people like Peter and Paul. 
I mean, Paul actually was converted in Acts chapter 9, if you read it. Uh, it was a, an amazing encounter, amazing conversion. Uh, Paul actually was a missionary before he became a Christian. But he was an anti-Christian missionary. That was who he was. Uh, he was a fanatical Jew, actually. And then uh, he was prepared to leave home, no? to go around speaking against Christians. Uh, he wanted to get them stoned. He wanted to get them arrested. He wanted to put them in prison. But little did he dream when he set out as an anti-Christian missionary that he would actually end up being a Christian missionary. I don't think he ever imagined that. But God has amazing ways sometimes of stopping us and then asking us to turn around. Turn around and turn your life around and go my way. And he met Saul. Uh, and as soon as he met Saul, he was he actually told Saul, no, I'm going to send you out to the Gentiles, basically to the non-Jews, to tell them about me. That was the 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 the, the epiphany, whatever he heard from the Lord right from the very start. That was what God told Saul. And Saul knew from the day of his conversion. But you realize uh, from Acts chapter 9, he didn't go out as a missionary straight away. But there were some years before he actually uh, knew that, that the time was right and then God actually said, now go. So why did he not go when he, he encountered the Lord? Why did he not go when he heard the Lord saying that, hey, uh, I will send you out to the Gentiles? Uh, because really in reality um, doesn't matter whether we are converted whether we are baptized whether we are filled with the holy spirit uh, all those things are very very important but god still wants to do a preparation in our hearts uh, in our minds all those things are also equally as important because god knew that there was still a lot to work on in saul's life before he was even ready. It wasn't until Acts chapter 13 that you actually see him going out. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that because we are called and filled with the Holy Spirit that we have got to go straight into missions. Uh, the Lord is going to prepare us. Actually, He sends Saul into the desert. If you, if you read the scriptures together, read Acts 9 and you read Galatians 1, you will know that uh, he was actually in the desert for three years. I, I know sometimes being in a desert uh, causes you to think a lot. Nothing else to do, right? You know, you're thinking, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, three years, God was actually working in Saul's life, uh, getting his mind straight so that when he spoke, eventually he will speak clearly, he will speak with confidence and he will carry with him the good news of the Lord. And even when he came back from the desert, uh, he was not ready straight away you know, for missionary work. He had to learn how to integrate into normal church life and submit to the discipline of his own fellowship. Read that. If you read Acts chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, you will actually see all these things accounted for all the way to 13. Because it's actually very important that anyone, before anyone sets out on missions, that they actually have this integration with the fellowship. No one, is, no one exists on their own. One. As, as in, you don't go out on missions individually. It's not something uh, that the Lord, that's not His method, that's not His way. Uh, that's why we realize it's not until chapter 13 that Paul actually went out to fulfill the call that he received some years earlier in chapter 9. And the reason why he set off in chapter 13 at last is because his church said go. You will see that actually. It wasn't until chapter 13 that the church actually said, now Paul, you go. And we are told no, by the Holy Spirit that the time was right. So I take it that God has put this in the Bible as an example for us to learn from. 
there is a right timing. There is a time for preparation. And sometimes we have made mistakes no, uh, in terms of missions work. There are two common mistakes that we can make. Uh, one is for individual Christians who have been called by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, to go off without the church commissioning them. It's very, very important. And then, of course, the other is for the church to send off those who have not been called by God. That can also happen. That's why it's so how we have been doing it all this while. Uh, even in our church, you know, we are, a lot of labor, a lot of prayer actually goes into before anyone is sent out to do uh, the work of the Lord because we are sitting down, we are like, okay, you heard God's call in your life. Uh, are you ready to answer this call? If you are ready to answer this call, let's go through all the different things to prepare us. Uh, not just head knowledge, no, there's a lot of other things that needs to go into. Uh, we need to feed them intellectually, we need to feed them theologically, we need to feed them emotionally, we need to be there for them, we need to support them spiritually. And then eventually, when they are ready, they get sent out. So this is Paul's first missionary journey. This is where we are at. This is where I'm going to start actually. Okay? So I'm going to read Acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 12 very, very quickly. I'm going to read it. And then I want you all to see some patterns in which we can draw out some truths and realize that really church planting, there are steps to it. And it's not something that we roll the dice and like, let's just, let's just ramble our way through and this is how we're going to do it. No, uh, there are steps to it. Uh, and even how Exodus was planted came from all these different steps. Okay, So Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 12, reading from the NLT, it says, Bartimaeus and Saul are commissioned. Again, commissioned by who? Commissioned by their own church, the church in Antioch. So among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch, of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manain, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Hallelujah. Praise God. Paul's first missionary, missionary journey, verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they travelled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Verse 9, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see until sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. 
Hallelujah. For he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. The Lord blessed the reading of his word. So you realize that the first three verses of chapter 13 actually takes us to this place called Antioch. Antioch. And the amazing thing uh, that in the middle of this city was a little group of Christians. There was a little church there in Antioch. And we know that Antioch was probably where the first church was planted because of this portion of scripture. Uh, and it was a lovely mixture of people. Uh, there was Barnabas. And of course, we know Barnabas. We read quite a fair bit about him in Paul's uh, journeys. Barnabas is also known as the son of uh, encouragement. He was a great encourager to Paul's ministry. He was a Cypriot, a uh, great heart, generous hand. And everybody loved Barnabas. And then there was Simeon, an African. And that man actually had become a Christian the day the Roman soldiers made him carry the cross for Jesus. If you go back to the gospel, you would see Simeon in there. Uh, because remember what happened? Uh, Jesus was actually, uh, he, was, he was scourged. Basically, they whipped him, uh, which they, they did not do that. No. I, have you ever thought about it? Why? Why was it necessary? Because all this while, when you talk about a sacrifice, and the Jews have been sacrificing animals for the longest time uh, for atoning sin, uh, they, don't, they don't torture the animals before sacrificing them on the Passover. Do you, do you notice that? It's always a clean kill, uh, quick and fast. But strangely, with Jesus, they decided to, to torture him. They tortured him so badly until he couldn't, he didn't have strength to carry his own cross uh, to where they were about to crucify him. And that was actually what happened. They tortured him, he couldn't carry his cross, and Simeon was the African brother who was there, and the soldiers told him, you carry the cross. And because of what he saw, he became a believer that day. Because from that situation, faith arose. And he was one of those actually in that church in Antioch. Praise God. Then there was Lucius, a Roman. Uh, again, these are all the names that I'm just reading out. Okay? And then there was Manain. Uh, this was a man who as a child actually lived in a palace. And he was brought up uh, with a prince, actually. He had been adopted by Herod's father, you know, the, the same Herod that did a lot of evil things. Huh? Uh, basically, this Manain guy used to hang out with the bad Herod, but now he's also here in the church in Antioch. And then, of course, we have Saul, also known as Paul, a Jew from Tarsus, and he was trained as a rabbi. So you couldn't ask for a greater mixture of different ones, uh, different... Uh, races, different religions, different class, different background, different culture here. They are all happily together and they can use all sorts of nicknames on one another. Do you realize? It's actually, they call Simeon the black man. Uh, that shows actually how, how tight they are uh, to, to be able to give each other nicknames. Uh, and that tells me what an amazing fellowship that was in the church in Antioch. And if you have a church like that, you know it's going to be a missions-minded church uh, to start with. Because you have people from all around the world and they were living demonstration that people from many backgrounds can actually live happily together in one fellowship. And this is what the Lord wants actually. He doesn't want just uniformity. He wants us all to be able to work together as one family, accepting one another so that the amazing work of His ministry can continue to grow. Amen? Let's move on. Again, uh, I'm just breaking down the scripture for you all to see A. Eh, it's really not really rocket science, right, how church planting is. And that's why when Pastor Kenneth wrote that book, Now Everyone Can Plant, 
even though a lot of us read it and like, no, nah, not everyone can plant. Nah, but essentially, pastor is trying to tell us, actually, everyone can plant. Each one of you have been plant, part of church planting work because this is a church that wasn't planted like you know, many, 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 many moons ago. Most of you had some, one way or the other, put your hands to the plow in terms of the planting and the growing of this church. And so all of us can be involved in it. There are two kinds of ministry mentioned in this church. And I think it's good that we highlight it as well. It says uh, the two ministries are those of the prophets and those of the teachers. Very important because a church needs both these things. The church needs the teaching of God's eternal truths. That applies everywhere. Very, very important. That's why I continue to teach as it is God's word. Uh, even though sometimes it may sound a little bit boring, uh, you know, going back to scripture, but it's important that we have teaching in the church. It's also important for prophecy to take place because you must also have those whose mouths will bring a message from God. So a church needs these two things, uh, the teachings of God's, of God's eternal truth and also those whose mouth will bring God's message to the congregation. And these members we have mentioned had all these ministries between them, the teaching ministry and the prophetic ministry. Very important. How we all started was also because of that. There was a prophecy uh, that we will be a church planting uh, church released upon us. And then there's continuous teaching to get people on the same page. And different ones will have different gifts and different ones will have different abilities. But all of the giftings, remember this, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is so that we can give back to the body. None of the gifts, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think is where you read on the spiritual gifts, none of it is for your own self. All of it is actually so that the body of Christ, basically the body of believers can be edified. If at all there is one that says it's for your own self, it's the gift of tongues. It says it's for self-edification. But even that, when you are edified, when you are well, what do you do? It says, don't just love God, but love one another. So ultimately, nothing in the Lord's kingdom is for self one. It's all for the glory of His body and Him, for one another. Amen? So, amazing. The church had teachers and had prophets. Very important. Uh, even though sometimes no, we talk about prophetic ministry, uh, don't know. Uh, but really, sometimes you know that the Lord has placed things in your heart to share and to encourage one another. Don't be afraid to move in the giftings of the Holy Spirit. That's why I want to encourage us. And then, Let's, let's read on. Uh, what else were they doing? They were actually praying and they were fasting. Do you, do you all notice that as I read it just now? Basically, they were denying their physical appetites that they might actually stimulate their spiritual appetites. Something that we don't realize because a lot of us nowadays, when it comes to prayer and fasting, it's like, oh, I want to fast social media. I want to fast. Good, do all those things. Uh, but there is a deeper meaning. You know? It's not just an exercise that we do to deprive ourselves of a physical need and a physical one uh, so that we can look good. It's not there is something deeper in praying and fasting or fasting and praying. Um, because it's strange you know, that the, a lot of the modern church uh, has, in a way, forgotten prophecy. A lot of the modern church has actually forgotten fasting. 
And if you fast and you don't pray, it becomes a diet. Lah. That's what it essentially is. That's, that's the reality of it. So, uh, the, this church is actually saying, uh, let's do without food and give ourselves to earnest prayer for this matter. It's amazing. You know, so they fasted and worshipped, serving and ministering to God. That's what the scripture actually says. And people who see that fasting and prayer were meant to be partners are likely to hear God speak to them. And really, if you have not tried this, I want to encourage you all to try it. Fast and pray and hear from the Lord because He's going to give you the direction that you need in your own life. And then just realize this as well. Don't just fast and pray for ourselves because that's not the only thing that is priority. It's always for one another. Very, very important. And then you'll see this, you know, when they are fasting and they are praying, uh, you know, they're hearing from God. And then when you hear from God, you realize uh, that actually God wants ministering as well. God wants us to minister to Him. He wants serving and that is why we attend church service that's why that's why it's called church service basically is for us to come here and to serve each other to serve one another and we hope that continues to happen but ultimately god wants us to also serve him to serve god by giving him our attention you know god is probably one of the most neglected people in church if you think you are alone in church, if, I, know, I know a lot of people will tell me, oh, I don't feel connected. Uh, I don't feel uh, that there's, there's, there's a gap. No, the, the church is so big. Uh, sometimes no, in, in larger congregations and larger services, we hear people saying that there is no connection. I can tell you that the most neglected person in church is God. Because a lot of us come and not all of us are thinking about Him, me included. There can be so many things in my mind there can be even ministering to one another that supersedes my thoughts. But I don't think about ministering unto the Lord, which is something that's very, very important for us to do. Don't neglect God. And it was as they fasted and prayed that actually God told them to send out the best two members. Amazing, right? Maybe we would hear God speak more often if we are willing to give Him our undivided attention. Not maybe, I... I say it with confidence, I know we will. I know we will because I've tasted and I've experienced it and I know it works. Fasting, praying, prophesying, teaching. We must concentrate our whole attention on God. So they forgot about their meals, no? And they went on. Lord, tell us what you are saying. Tell us how to do this, when to do it. And finally, they took those two men. That's what happened. They took those two men and then what did they do? They actually laid hands on them and said, go, it's time for you to do what you need to do. The laying, of, the laying on of hands is also not... You know, sometimes when we do it at prayer service, everyone's like, okay, whatever, just reach out on it. Because pastor do it, I also do it, everyone also do it. It's like saying bye-bye or saying hello. I don't know what it really means, but <laughs> it's actually a very precious practice. And we should do more of that too. Basically, it's an act of identification. That's what you're doing. It's saying, you are part of our body. We are all one body and I'm identifying with you. And so, our missionaries from our fellowship are part of our body now somewhere else, wherever they go. 
It is also saying, Lord, we are people in bodies as well as spirit. And so, as we put part of our bodies on this person, will you also send something of your spirit through our bodies to him and her? It's very, very significant. There is power in the laying laying on of hands on a person's life. We don't do it for fun. We don't do it just because we want to rub, wipe the sweat off the person's brows. No. There is a reason. There is both a physical reason, a purpose, and a spiritual connotation to it. Something that's very, very important. And the Lord can do this. No, He can use ordinary hands to actually channel His grace. No, why, what, what do you do when your child needs comfort? Don't you hold your child? What do you do when a friend is mourning and is going through a tough time? Don't you reach out with your hands to assure the person, to express sympathy? God wants us to do this when He calls someone into service. Basically, He's saying, let our hands express His love and our unity in the body. It's powerful. There's a reason and there's purpose for it. That's why when we send teams off, we always lay hands on them. It's not just an exercise in futility. I hope we don't look at it as, ah, there they go again. No, there is a reason and there is a purpose behind it. And so they send them off. And the great mission began. It was small beginnings. Just a little meeting, a few prophets and a few teachers, but God spoke. And when God speaks, you never know what the result is going to look like. And what happened? Well, they they set sail for Cyprus. Uh, Why Cyprus? I don't know. But maybe, maybe because Barnabas was from Cyprus, it could make sense, possibly, because we know that Barnabas, the Cypriot, which actually means that he's from there, he's going back to his hometown. And this is another important principle that I want to share and teach in missions. Have you ever thought that you would be willing to go all the way to Africa, to China, to Timbuktu, to the deepest and furthest places in the world, uh, but not where you live in terms of missions? A lot of us, when we talk about missions, oh, no, missions has to be really far. Got to go somewhere where I have to parachute down and cannot even, cannot even go there by foot. Uh, and a lot of us are like that in our minds. But realize this, no, when Saul of Tarsus was converted, where did he go for his first mission? He went back to Tarsus. When Barnabas joined Saul, and then Barnabas coming from Cyprus, where did they first travel together for missions? He went back to Cyprus. Do you get the message? Because really, you know, it becomes hypocrisy to actually go and preach elsewhere if you have not let it be known where you are at that you have found Christ. Remember that. Remember that. That is where missions begins. Right where you are. You don't have to go to the furthest ends of the world to do missions. Yes, you can. But start where you are. God wants you to be in mission here before you start going off elsewhere. He wants you to start with a people among whom you were brought up. He wants, you, he wants you to let your neighbors and friends know. Start with that. Your colleagues, wherever God has placed you, there is where your mission field begins. Now, let's look at the methods. And I'm going, you, again, I'm just touching everything that I said. Go back and read verses 1 to 13 again. And you read it slowly. Uh, you will see this pattern and you will see these examples being set. The method of mission. We know they went in a group. God doesn't usually lead people to be loners. Like it or not. 
you know, even though some people are like, I like to stay alone. I don't like to talk to people. No, uh, I like to go missions by myself. Uh, if you go missions by yourself, then you're not going to reach out to anyone. Like, you're going to just reach yourself. That's the reality of it. There are, of course, a few exceptions, but when Jesus was on earth as well, he always sent people out two by two. That's something that we learned. Have you ever been house-to-house visitation uh, you, and you go alone? Uh, it's very lonely one. Uh, in fact, when you travel with someone, when you go with someone, you will have the boldness to actually minister more effectively. You know, I, I, when I first started off uh, uh, in full-time ministry, I used to hang out a lot with Chaplin. Uh, of course, Chaplin now is, uh, you know, he, he wasn't too well and now uh, he's uh, in a different place. Uh, but we, we used to go around to hospitals, old folks' homes. Uh, we just travel, uh, ministering to people. Uh, if it's English speaking, I'll talk to them. Hokkien, like Chaplin, you call team, I don't know what to say. Uh, but it was, it was good. And we wrote off one another's strengths uh, to minister to people. It, I mean, I, I really treasured. Uh, those moments. And nowadays, what I try to do as well is I, I, I'll bring the younger ones out when I go out to minister to different needs because I think it's important that we go two by two. That's the pattern for missions. We should do it together, not just as individuals. And so, he took along Barnabas' nephew as well, John Mark. Of course, we read further on that John Mark wasn't of too much help. Eventually, he became a crybaby and then he, 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 he left. He ran off actually. Uh, but, I still love the fact that Paul did bring along a younger person because if you go on reading uh, Paul's letters, you will know that there was a time, a point of time when reconciliation did take place. And because of John Mark uh, going different places, the gospel actually spread further and wider. And we also know that John Mark uh, is the same one that wrote the gospel of Mark. So it's amazing how things actually pan out as it is. And then another thing that you all should take note of is this. They didn't go around starting Sunday schools. No. Basically, they didn't just go for the children. I know sometimes when we do missions work, uh, let's do children's ministry. It's the easiest. Uh, it, is, it is easier to connect sometimes with younger kids because there are different things, different ways in which you can connect with them. But the, the, the apostles actually went for adults rather than children. I believe this is also a divine strategy. It is a divine strategy. Not an easy one. But they didn't go around starting welfare services, uh, getting tied up to a lot of social and political reform. They didn't do all those things, even though sometimes it's the strategy for missions today. They went straight for the main target, to tell people the good news. That's all they wanted to do. I want to go tell people the good news. Though our mission to the world includes a lot of other things, it, it will include helping children, it will include welfare, it will include serving people in their practical needs. The main thing that mission is concerned about is getting people saved from their sins by preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember that. I have to remind myself that all the time because I do a lot of community work. It's something that we are called to do as believers, definitely, to go and help one another. But that, is, that can actually not be fulfilling missions if we forget to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, which basically telling people that if it wasn't for Jesus, we will still be filled with sin in our life and we need Jesus in our lives. I know it's not easy, but they went straight for the main thing and do you notice how they did it? They look around for people who are nearest to God. Again, all this is strategy. They look around for those who, okay, 
either uh, people, they went to the synagogue first actually. People who sort of, I know who God is, I acknowledge God, uh, I believe Him, even though I don't believe in Jesus Christ yet, but you know there are people of faith. So they went for, I wouldn't say easier targets, but it's a strategy. Let's reach those who are a bit more open first. And really sometimes the most fruitful field of evangelism is you start off even reaching out or reaching back to those who are nominal Christians. Those who maybe believe once and then after that they went astray. Uh, but they, they, they know and there's still that memory of who God is. Reach those first. It's important that you get a foothold and then continue building on it. Uh, and there will always be, sometimes even among us, those who already fear God, you will know when you, when you speak to some people, you will know that they, they do fear God. So start with those who acknowledge God in some way or the other. Uh, for me, that is a strategy. And that's essentially what Paul and Barnabas did. They went straight to the synagogues first. And then they worked throughout the island and finally they came. This opportunity just presented itself on their laps uh, to bring the gospel to. And they eventually ended up in the governor's palace. I don't think they set out to go to the governor's palace, but the opportunity arose. And sometimes you never quite know how far your message is going to go. But the Lord creates these different opportunities and He created it for Saul and Barnabas. And they found themselves, no, unknown missionaries, no, Christian Jews, preaching from synagogue to synagogue. And then it suddenly came to the years of the, it's like the Mantri Basadela, the governor, uh, who is this intelligent man. And he actually invited them. And he said, I, I want to hear what you have to say. And then you realize sometimes when opportunities like this arises, you will, you will run right smack into opposition. And that's what happened. They met this sorcerer uh, who is like a, a witch doctor, basically. His name is Elimas. Uh, or I think his other name is Bar Jesus or something like that. You know, ironically, Bar Jesus actually means Jesus' son. <laughs> so it sounded like this flirt is Jesus' son. Uh, but, but Paul was actually quite strong in his words. He said, no, you are a sorcerer, no. You call yourself, your name sounds, direct translation uh, is Jesus' son, but you ain't Jesus' son and you're the son of the devil. Uh, but that's the reality of it. When we go out and we, when we do the Lord's work, you will encounter oppositions. Uh, this person was actually opposing uh, the work that Paul is doing. And so, be ready for all this opposition, but remember that God is on our side. And here we have Paul, the missionary of light, uh, ready because he went through all that he has gone through in the desert and he was ready to confront the power of darkness. And that's exactly what he did. No, he didn't mince his word. No, he actually called him out. He said, you are the son of the devil. Uh, you are the enemy uh, of all that is good. No, How long are you going to keep doing this? I'm going to stop your evil influence straight away. Paul had the confidence to actually do that. And then the first miracle that Paul uh, did here was he, he made a seeing man turn blind. <laughs> Sometimes we think about miracles, we always think about, hey, isn't a miracle more a blind man can see rather than a seeing man turn blind? But that's exactly what he did to Elimas. Basically, he let Elimas go through what he went through because that was what happened to Paul as well. When he encountered God, he lost his sight. And in sometimes, I think that's God's grace upon our lives. You know, when we are not so distracted with everything around us, 
maybe that's where we came, we will come to some form of repentance and turning our lives around. It worked for Paul. I'm not sure if it worked for Elimas, but that's what happened. Uh, I trust that it worked for Elimas because we don't hear much after uh, that took place. But remember, this is Paul working his amazing confidence uh, that the Lord has placed upon his life. And of course, the result of that miracle of harm, it looks like a miracle of harm, but the result of that was the Roman governor was on his knees. Sergio Paulus was his name. And I believe from time to time, the Lord will allow us to reach those in influence or in positions of influence, wherever you are at. Don't be ashamed to share the gospel because the Lord will create opportunities for your boss. I don't know, maybe for heads of states one day. Who knows? Because God works with the nobodies, calling those of us who are nothing and He makes us somebody in His sight. That's the glorious thing that He does. And so Paul says, no, look at you in the church, not many noble, not many wise. Notice he doesn't say none noble, none wise. That means there will be those who will be noble and those who will be wise that he will call out. And God will use this as his amazing purpose to allow a man of great influence to come into the faith. And so if this happens, trust me, you will face a lot of opposition. Because even the, the enemy doesn't want to see people of influence turning towards God's kingdom. That's the reality of it. And so when the governor was converted, it actually meant a lot to Paul. No? Because two things he did. The first thing was, he decided to sail away from Cyprus. We read that towards the end of the portion of Scripture. Uh, basically, I think he realized that I've done all that I can. Now this place is in good hands. There's a converted leader. Uh, I don't have to go keep on hammering the same message. Uh, I'm going to prepare this person and I'm going to move on to another place to continue doing God's amazing work for me. But the other thing that happened was actually after his conver conversion, Saul actually changed his name. Because you read that from now on, he is also known as Paul. And sometimes, I, I, maybe I'm reading too deep into it, but you know, why would he change his name at that point of time? Or why would Luke, who is the author of Acts of the Apostles, indicate it from then onwards that his name or he will be known as Paul. Uh, and I think it's likely that this first convert, it was like a first big convert that he had. Uh, and his name was Sergio Paulus. Basically, the governor's name was Paul. And he took on uh, the govern governor's name uh, as, I don't know whether it's in commemoration, but basically, he's also wanting to identify uh, with the work that he has done and, and someone that he really is close with, someone that he really, uh, you know, he, he know that he, 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 he did everything that he could and he was Paul's first big Gentile convert. And so he changes his name. And then finally is this. There's this little word that you actually see uh, in the last portion of the scripture. It says, seen. Basically, Sergius Paulo saw certain things. Uh, and when the governor saw, he believed what he had heard. When people can see the results of what they have heard, they will believe. You know, in the next portion, I will share on the content of what Paul normally talks about. He sh what, what does he share? But remember this, no, whatever that you share, let it not just be an audio 
experience. Let it be an audio-visual experience. That means don't just let them hear, but let them see as well. We must preach the word, but that is not enough to convince. It is when people actually see the effect of instruction from the Lord in other people's life that they will believe. And sometimes it can be a negative effect. Sometimes it can be a positive effect. Uh, but whatever it is, people actually can see a life change and transform. And when others see the gospel and they hear it in that manner, they want to hear the good news and they want to see more of this power and they are willing to take this to as far as they can go. And that's the reality of it. You know, you can't engage in missions without the Holy Spirit. I'll end with this. You may preach until your face turns blue. You may have all the theology in your head. You can go out and be the most hardworking person and give out as many tracts and Bibles to different ones. And you may say all the right things. But basically, people need to see God. That's something that's very, very important. They need to see and they need to experience God for themselves because it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of conversion in anyone's life. And we can't do it by ourselves. So remember, the strategy of missions is never, ever go without the Holy Spirit. If it's anything at all that we can gather from all that we have learned from the practical to the spiritual. Let's continue to look back to Scripture and I pray that we will continue to go forward, much forward, uh, because that's how God wants us to live our Christian life. Not just seated where we are, but even where you are at, you can be a part of missions and you can be a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope you've been blessed by this message. For more information on our church, please visit xchurch.org. We are also active on Facebook and Instagram. We're believing that this week is going to be a good week ahead for you. God bless.